All right, guys. So here we are. We are uh, we're doing this thing, and none of us really have uh, a choice. I'm guessing, even by Providence standards, many of you guys are probably at home underdressed at this point. Uh, that's fine. I get that. So long as you're here, that's all that really matters. The the the, the question that I've got is. Who was late to your own house for this? Uh, and we're still on Providence time either way, and you got here about 10.40 or so. I'm guessing that's that's a few of you. But that's understandable, <laughs> as long as you're here. Thanks for the, uh, the laugh, Chris. Appreciate that. Um, but we're all gathered here, at least uh, sort of, digitally, virtually, however, however you've come here. And these past couple of weeks have been uh, quite a shock to the system. There's nothing more that would fly in the face of the American kind of ethos, the American way of life than being told stop, which is what we've all been told to do. We've been told to just stop. Nothing feels right to us uh, about stopping. Nothing feels right about sitting at home and uh, just kind of waiting for something else to happen. We're supposed to be Americans. We're supposed to, we're supposed to go out and make things happen. That's what that's what the, the definition for so many of us uh, has been to be American. It's been, it's been ingrained in us since our youngest days that we're supposed to be people that go and do, go and make things uh, happen. And now we sit here and, and we stare at what seems to be an empty calendar that is not going to be filled up at any time. We stare at an empty calendar that uh, doesn't have sports on it, that doesn't have... Uh, that, that doesn't have graduations on it, that doesn't have uh, major lifestone life events that are supposed to happen. None, none of those are there. So what do we make of this moment? Um, we, we don't have a category for it, I don't, uh, I don't think. What, what do we make of, of these days? How do we move forward in a, in a world where we're told, sit still? How does that work? Most days, uh, like this one especially, I find myself kind of sitting around, looking, and just kind of shaking my head. I, I know I, I've heard so many of you use the word surreal. I, I guess that's the only word that fits. Um, it, it, it doesn't seem like real life. It doesn't seem like something any of us should be dealing with. I shouldn't be talking to uh, a camera instead of you. I should be here with you guys shaking hands and doing awkward side hugs and, and drinking coffee and doing that kind of stuff. That's what I should be doing. Um, but instead I sit here and, and just think, how in the world did we get to this place? And I, I've always wondered what it would be like to live in a moment like this. You study this stuff in history books and you wonder, how did people live in those days? How did people do those things? And yet here we are in those days, even compared to, to 9-11, uh, this just feels different. 9-11 felt like it happened to us as Americans, but it also felt like it kind of happened to those folks in New York and in Washington and Pennsylvania. It didn't, we, we still were kind of like watching it, but this affects all of us. None of us will escape the effects of what we're dealing with now, even more so than just being uh, shuttered in your house for, for a few days, what for, those of you here in Jefferson County with spring break, even more so than, than that, the, the coming days are going to impact all of us, either through infection with the virus or through the economic impact that this is going to carry. I already know of a couple of folks 
within the Providence family that have lost jobs. I, I know of people that have uh, been told, go home until further notice. I know of students that have no idea what the next few days and weeks and months hold for them. And uh, that, that has ripple effects for, for all of us. And so we're, as best I can tell, only a few days into something that's going to last months. And we've already begun to feel the impact. So how do we get through these things? How do we press on through these things? And I'll go ahead and tell you, this message that I'm giving today is going to be, it's going to be kind of heavy. But I think it's an important one as we, as we get things rolling here uh, with this new reality that we have. And, and we, we've got a new series. We'll start next week. Things won't be quite as heavy going forward. Uh, but I think it's important that we talk about the reality that we're all, we're all dealing with. So how do we come to grips with it? For the first time in many of our lives, we're going to be forced to sit down and come to terms with questions that we'd rather not deal with. We're going to be forced to sit down and come to terms with, uh, with, with things that we would like to pretend don't e- exist. And um, in the midst of a national crisis that has no real end in sight, every day will get a little bit harder. And it will be harder and harder to pretend that everything's okay. You see, most of us go through life pretending that everything's okay, pretending that everything is all right, or at least trying to convince ourselves that everything is okay and everything is all right. And that we have some semblance of control, but we talk about that a lot here at Providence, that control is really just a phone call away from being a shattered illusion. And in this case, apparently a press conference away from being a shattered uh, illusion for us. We do all that we can to avoid suffering, to avoid our own suffering, to avoid seeing those that we love suffer. And yet here we are suffering ourselves, watching our friends suffer, watching the world suffer. So here's my goal for the next few minutes as we go through a couple of different texts. We're going to be in Genesis 3 and then we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to open it up, you can do that. Genesis 3 and then Romans 8. And here's my goal for the next few minutes. I want to give you a dose of theology. But again, I hope that doesn't scare you away. We've done that a few times here the last few weeks of Providence. And the the reason why that I I want to do this is because in our uh, secular leaning, if not entirely secular at this point, culture, culture, uh, materialistic kind of religion that occupies most of American Christianity, uh, it's not ready for this moment. It's not ready for a moment of suffering or of frustration. It's not, it's not ready for that kind of thing. Even those that have been to church their whole lives, but they've been kind of spoon-fed a, a cotton candy uh, Christianity, that cotton candy Christianity isn't ready for this moment uh, either. Um, it just doesn't have a category for this. A few years ago, I went to Nicaragua on a, on a mission trip. And I had to do one of the strangest things I've ever done in my life up to that point. I think what I'm doing right now would qualify there now. Uh, But one of the strangest things I'd ever had to do at that point is I had to preach a five-minute sermon. That's it. Five minutes. But it was five minutes off the cuff. And it was five minutes in a house with about 10 to 15 people in it. And it was five minutes uh, with a translator. So uh, it was everything that I'm not used to. Having to work through a translator in a house uh, and doing it completely off the cuff. And let me just tell you, that was an awful uh, sermon. Uh, but the interpreter I had 
was great. He was wonderful. I said some kind of half-hearted lines trying to fumble my way uh, through something, opened up my Bible, read as much of it as I could because that was easier. He opened his Bible and read uh, some in, in Spanish. And, and I read through these kind of half-hearted uh, or, or made some kind of half-hearted applications. And as I was making those applications, there was nothing that I said that was funny. But then after the interpreter got done interpreting my message, people would laugh. I didn't understand what was going on. It didn't make any sense to me at all why they were laughing. I knew a little bit of Spanish. And what I could tell is that this interpreter was taking what I was saying. And then he was kind of massaging it a little bit. And he was then beginning to communicate uh, in their language in a way that would connect to their hearts and help them to understand the sense of what I was trying uh, to, get a, to get across. I, I could tell that he was retranslating it in a way that was compelling and that was uh, there to get their attention and, and really kind of help get some of my awkwardness out of uh, the way. A good translator can do that. A good translator can restate a, a less than clear statement into one that makes sense and connects with our hearts. That's what good theology does. Good theology is a translator for us in the midst of this world. It takes the sometimes obscure, sometimes confusing, sometimes painful, messy world that we see around us. It takes things like, like COVID-19 and, and, and a bad economy, and it takes these things that we're living in, and it translates those things for us. It puts it in words that we can understand and in something that will connect uh, to our hearts. And when it does, it will connect deeply with our hearts. It will connect with those of our children. It will connect with those of a world that is desperate for answers, that will be desperate to find something that will make sense of what we're watching and what we're experiencing. So here we go. Let's do this and let's dive in. How do we translate what we're seeing right now? We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. We go back to the beginning where, where, where all was right, and then it all went very wrong. In Genesis 3, we have the account of the fall. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read through the full account of the fall. You guys uh, can do this. If you're at home, this would be a great thing for you to be able to open up your Jesus Storybook Bibles and go through with your kids uh, whenever we're, we're done here. A great thing to be able to apply this and, and help them kind of gain a little bit of, a, of an interpreter for, them, uh, for themselves. But uh, I don't want to read all of it, but you know the story. The serpent shows up, tempts Eve with a forbidden fruit. Uh, Eve uh, gives the fruit to Adam. They both eat, and uh, that is what's known as the fall of man. That is the first sin. That is where sin enters into our world. Now, before this moment, there was no death. There was no sickness. All was right in the world in perfect harmony. As God himself had said, it was all very good. And then they took a bite. And I want to read for you an account of what happened after they took a bite. Specifically, I want you to hear what God said to Adam. Whenever God shows back up, finds them hiding, and he says, all right, here's some of the repercussions that's going to happen from what you've done. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. 
thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. I want to draw in on one specific part of that curse. I want you to see what happens there. God's curse is given uh, to Adam, but his curse, unlike the one that's given to the serpent, unlike the one that's given to Eve, doesn't just apply to uh, men uh, in general. It applies to all of creation. It's for all creation. And now what it says is that the ground itself is cursed because of Adam and Eve's sin. Things that were easy have now become hard. Things that came with joy and flourished easily now come by blood, sweat, tears, and frustration. The world we are living in now is broken by that fall. That's our first interpretive guideline that we're going to need in the midst of all of this. The world is broken by the fall. When we look around at a, at a virus that's taking uh, over the world, quite literally taking over the world, we don't have to look far to see something that is bringing with it uh, struggle and suffering and, and death. And we can say, we know why this is happening. It's happening because this world has been broken by sin. Because this world is not how it's supposed to be. The theologians have a term uh, for this. Uh, it's a term called total depravity. Now, we could talk for a long time about all the implications of, uh, of that term. And it doesn't mean that everything is as depraved as it could be, could be. Everything is not completely depraved or completely wicked or evil. That's not what it means. What it means is that the moment that sin entered the world, everything on some level was broken. There's nothing that escapes the effects of sin. Nothing. And clearly death and disease are a part of that. I want you to turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul's going to pick up on this idea of creation being cursed. He's going he's to pull right from Adam's curse there in Genesis chapter 3. And he's going to help us to interpret it. He's going to help us to understand what it means for us today. So Romans chapter 8. Verse 20 through 22, and I'll stop there for a second, and then I'll finish it out. Romans 8, 20 through 22. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So now we feel that. We feel those pains. We feel that corruption, that groaning. Creation, the world we live in, our very bodies are groaning under the strain and the weight of sin and of brokenness. And I want you to see what Paul does here, though. And I want you to see this because this will be what we will need to hold on to uh, Frankly, this is what we need to hold on to long after what we're going through is over with. But certainly in the days ahead, this is something we will have to hold on to. He gives us a little clue about how we make sense of all of this. Yes, this world is broken. Yes, it is messed up. Yes, it is 
full of all kinds of things we wish did not exist. But it is done so in the hope that one day all would be made right again. That one day it would be free from corruption and decay and suffering that we see everywhere. We are not left without hope. If I, can, if I can get you to hear one thing this morning, that would be it. We are not left without hope. Romans 8.23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul says that even of those that have Jesus, we, those of us that have Jesus, we still feel the weight of sin. We still have bodies that fail and a world that hurts. But one day, one day, that will not be true anymore. That even today, as we groan under the strain of a broken world, as we groan under the strain of sin, we are moving toward redemption in Jesus. And this is where good theology is so important. Good theology gives us hope. Bad theology leads us to do dumb things like sowing seeds of faith that will make everything better or buying some uh, water that's supposed to fix everything or putting all of our hope in science to fix everything or putting all of our hope in our finances to fix everything or putting all of our hope in our spouse and our kids to fix everything. And the reality is that that is our functional theology when we do that. Whatever we put our hope in, is our functional theology. Bad theology leads you to false hope. But good theology points us to true and real hope. If we were to go back to Genesis chapter 3 for time, I'm not going to do that. But if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 3, we would see where God curses the serpent. He tells the serpent that one day the offspring of Eve will put an end to his reign. And even though the serpent may bruise Jesus' heel, the offspring of Eve, Jesus would deliver his blow to the serpent's head. That even in the curse, even in the moment where God curses Eve for her sin, and curses uh, the serpent for the temptation and for the evil, even in the curse, God is in the business of giving us hope. And our hope will never being something this world can offer. Jesus told us as much. He warned us about the troubles that were to come. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This time... This stuff that we're dealing with, it will pass eventually. By God's grace, you guys will join me back here in this place and we will sing louder than we ever have before. This moment will pass. History will judge whether we have reacted appropriately or if we have over or underreacted to this virus. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. And to be honest with you, I'm not 100% sure the doctors know because all they are doing is they are making assumptions uh, they're making models based off of data that's based off assumptions and trying to make the best decisions that they can. I don't know the answer there. But regardless, 
What I do know, virus or no virus, in this world we will have trouble. If you have bad theology, it will ultimately lead you to despair. Because the things of this world will slip through your hands. Or you will have good theology. And that good theology will help us to interpret correctly what we see. And what we see is a world that is passing away. A world that's subject to sin. But a world that's subject in hope. That will drive us to Jesus. And that good theology will give us a hope unlike anything else this world has. A hope that is unshakable. Why? Because Jesus has overcome the world. And when he says that he has overcome the world, what he means is he has overcome sickness and death. He's not just overcome the frustrations of our lives. He's not just overcome those that would come against us. He's overcome everything that was broken in the fall. He's overcome it all. So as I close here, as I wrap this up, I, I have no idea who's watching this thing at home. I have no idea how this thing is working for us. But if you're watching this, if you're listening, consider what hope you have today. Take some time in the next few minutes whenever we wrap things up over the next few days whenever you're sitting at home and whenever you're doing your laundry or whatever else it is that you have going on. Ask some honest questions about your heart. What have you put your hope in? Is your hope in Jesus? Or is your hope in something that will ultimately pass away? Parents, talk to your kids this week. Ask them about their hope. They may not have that vocabulary. They may not know how to interpret things that way. Help them. Be their interpreter for them. Take the time you have now over the next few minutes, the next few hours, the next few days and reflect. Consider what it means that Jesus has overcome the world. I'm going to pray for us now. We're going to, we're going to sing a few more songs here in just a few minutes. Take some time. Pray at home. You can pray along with me. You can pray with your family there. You can pray if you're uh, alone watching. We're going to pray and we're going to we're going to celebrate what God has done through Jesus. And we're going to ask that he would give us hope in these days. And that we would be able to see what he has already given us in his son. So let's pray. Father, we confess that far too often we chase, we chase after lesser gods. We chase after things that... Um, we chase after things that promise so much hope, but like Adam, like Eve, we have been deceived. Father, I pray that in these days, our theology would not fail us because our theology is based off of half-truths, lies, and comfort. But in these days, our theology would be a comfort to us that in these days our theology would embolden us to share the message of hope that only Christians have. Father, we thank you. Even now, as we look just a few weeks from now to Easter, that on this Sunday, even though we don't gather together physically, that we still celebrate Easter Sunday today when death was conquered. When your son rose from the grave, 
demonstrated his authority that he has overcome the world. Father, may our theology match the moment because our Savior has overcome the world. It's in Christ's name we pray.